0: Welcome to the Theology Pugcast, and uh, we're glad to have you with us again, and the gang is all together. We're back at the Corner Pug, right down the street from Colt Manufacturing, maker of fine handguns, and uh, we're enjoying a uh, very beautiful New England day. It's dark, it's rainy, it's getting cold, and it's getting colder, but anyway, we're here (laughs) enjoying our uh, libations and laughing already with each other uh, concerning things we want to talk about. And uh, why don't we
1: introduce ourselves? So why don't you start, Glenn? Glenn Sunshine, I'm professor of history at Central Connecticut State University and a senior fellow at the Colson Center for Christian Worldview. I just want to note that Colt firearms doesn't only make fine handguns, they also make heinous assault weapons. All right,
0: (laughs) way to go Colt. Although I've been told that they've uh, more, they kind of capitulated. They're not willing to sell those those uh, rifles to us anymore. Those are just for the military, so we can go to another manufacturer like Mossberg or somebody else. <laughs> but by the way, who is also a local manufacturer, and so is Smith and Wesson, and so is Springfield Armory, and the list goes on. <laughs> anyway, Tom. I'm
2: Tom Price. Um systematic theologian and Christian ethicist, teaching both at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary and having grown up in Virginia, it was also close to
1: Winchester. <laughs> oh, <the competitor. laughs> Which I think moved at some point. But right, right, right. They were in Connecticut for a while, too. Right. Well,
0: yeah, you know, anyway, uh, this, 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 uh, this region that we're in, the Connecticut River Valley, is kind of like the uh, industrial heartland of, of New England, and uh, one of the reasons why all those uh, firms don't leave and people ask me all the time why Why do they stay? Yeah. Well, it's because not only the history and all the expense but uh, there's just a lot of people around here who are high-tech in the old-fashioned sense. You know, like today we think of high-tech we think of Silicon Valley but we've got, you know, people who are like tool-and-die high-tech. You know, we've got a lot of manufacturing people here who know how to do stuff and actually make things that work physically. Nice. So anyway, that's why they don't leave. And, I, and I'm C.R. Wiley. pastor of the Presbyterian Church of Manchester in Manchester, Connecticut. I'm the senior pastor. There are other pastors there on staff. But anyway, uh, we're glad to have you here. And uh, today, it's my day. It's my day, and I decided I'm going to get nice. I'm going to get nice today. We've been too mean. We've been too mean. We've been just nasty, mean, ugly, middle-aged white guys getting grumpy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but we need to get nice we need to get nice and some of us are pushing the far end of
0: middle age <laughs> that's another matter <laughs> and uh now now the reason i want to i want to get nice today is uh, you know what prompted this was our friend douglas wilson and no quarter november now, if you know and if you don't know what no quarter november is just just google no quarter november and there'll be these marvelous youtube videos with doug lighting couches on fire and lighting fields on fire, and just lighting things on fire. And uh, it kind of gives you a little sense of what
1: Doug's up to. Actually, it sounds like modern worship songs. <laughs> <laughs> Something's always got to go up in flames. That's right, right. <laughs> I'm burning with passion for you, Lord, and stuff like that. Anyway,
0: uh, now, in another another s- sort of broader sense, I, I do think that we that, that people use the, the term nice actually to shut down uh, you know, real uh, genuine concern for the truth. And and the idea being that that wouldn't be nice to address that matter in this environment or in this setting. That might not be nice because it would hurt someone's feelings if we discussed that or used that term. You you know know what I'm getting at. We've got got this, this censorious spirit trying to shut down, I think, now it is possible for people to be, you know, rude and crude and all that kind of stuff. That's a given. People have been that way, you know, since since the beginning. Nasty beasts. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> but there's something. It seems to me that there's something more going on. So as I I, was, I, <clears throat> as I reflected on niceness, now, now one of the things so I, I I I like to coin uh, terms appellations, <laughs> and and, and uh, recently I, I I had come back from an event. Uh, it was a church sponsored event it had pastors and so forth at it and I was just appalled at kind of the course of things the course of conversation I kind of so I just I, I referred to some of the guys there as nice guys from hell <laughs> <laughs> and and what I was getting at is that you know you can really be nice and you know be an agent of uh, satan <laughs> now i 'm not saying these guys are demonic Mel <laughs> no, media yeah. you 're not saying they, <laughs> they aren't <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, I, I had a guy took, take took, took issue with that. I, and he said, that wouldn't be nice to call those nice guys, whatever. You know? And so anyway, I, I, I did sort of like temper my language a little bit. But then I thought, again, you know, I thought, no, no, I think that there is something to what I was getting at. And, and so to get us off, the, off uh, you know, the, the starting line here, I'd like to uh, take a look at the history of the word nice. <laughs> and the provenance of Nice. And uh, I went to that great resource, <laughs> the Internet. <laughs> and I discovered at the etymology.com the history of the word nice. So let me read it to you here. It's nice. It's Now, if little...
2: anything's off there, uh, I'm sure uh, right. Glenn, Glenn can step in. Or well, we there is some Latin here Jones. and some
0: French, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good with either of those, so you can, you can help me with that. But anyway, here we have late 13th century Nice adjective, late 13th century quote, foolish. There <laughs> is interesting. Ignorant, <laughs> frivolous, mm. senseless. Mm. From the old French, 12th century. Again, quote, careless, clumsy, weak, poor, needy, simple, stupid, silly, mm. foolish you're a nice guy. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Explains why I'm broke. No. <laughs> so,
0: but, but now now that should be a surprise, I, I think, because I don't mm-hmm. think anybody has any of that in mind when they when they use the word nice. Or ha- so then the c- question is now, how do we get from point A to, to where we are today? How, mm-hmm. how did it become almost a, a virtue in some mm-hmm. minds to be referred to as nice? So let me continue to read here. From Latin, uh, quote, ignorant, unaware, end of quote, literally literally quote not knowing end of quote mm-hmm. and that gives us some of the uh, the roots and various you know uh, various languages and so forth then it goes on to say the sense development has been extraordinary even for an adjective from timid faint-hearted pre-13th century to fusty fastidious late 14th century to dainty delicate the uh, 15th century, to precise and careful uh, 16th century, preserved in such terms as a nice distinction and nice and early to, quote, today, agreeable, delightful to our own, or the 19th century. So that was that was 18th century, 19th century, kind and thoughtful, so kind and thoughtful uh, is how many people think of it today. <coughs> So many examples from the 16th and 17th centuries, it is difficult to say in what uh, particular sense the writer intended to be taken. Well, of course, that was when sort of the transition is occurring. By 1926, it was pronounced, quote, too great a favorite with the ladies (laughs) who uh, who have charmed out of it all its individuality and converted it into a mere diffuser of vague and mild agreeableness. No, I think that's really where it is today. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a vague and mild agreeableness. Yeah, I
1: think that's a nice summary. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Now, here, here's something from Jane Austen. This is a great. This is a great piece from Jane Austen. So, so this is from uh, 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 Northanger Abbey. Uh, so this is 1803. Uh, I am sure, cried Catherine. I did not mean to say anything wrong, but it is a nice book, and why should I not call it so? Quote, Very true, said Henry and this is a very nice day and we are talking a very nice taking a very nice walk and you are two very nice young ladies oh it is very a very nice word indeed it does everything and I think that's right I think it's I think Austin has gotten to the to the spirit of it it's sort of like it's it's almost as though George Carlin had gotten a hold of the <laughs> You know where I'm going with that. But anyway, so yeah, I, it's, the, it's like the I don't think anybody
1: word. has ever compared Jane Austen to George Carlin.
2: <laughs> and our audience may, some of them may need to know who
0: George Carlin and don't, Jane don't, Austen. Don't, don't, don't Google that. Don't yeah, Google that. <laughs> but anyway, uh, now, so this is the background, and uh, what I'd like to do is kind of narrow in a little bit, but before I do that, what are some some of the... Things that come to your minds as, as i you know as I read that, what were some of the things that occurred to you
1: well the the thing that that jumped out at me is what they commented on the the incredible change in the meaning of the word mm-hmm. right um it it I yeah you know, my undergraduate degree was in linguistics, and I don't know that I've run into a word that has gone through quite that radical a transformation right mm. right. I mean, if, yeah, the thing that comes to my mind is, it's
2: something I'm trying to always teach students, especially in theology and philosophy, is that when we use terms, those terms have histories. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we're, we are using them, even within a shared, shared culture, very differently. And so sometimes when we come into conflict, we have conflicts of traditions of meaning and usage, not necessarily of, of how, you know, oh, I'm for justice, for example, and you're not. No, maybe we're actually working from different streams. I think similarly, a word like this shows you that this, you know, comes into this way, the, you know, comes into the present through this very kind of complicated shift of meaning. Um, and again, I don't know that any of the
0: older meanings are still around in this case or different different usages. Yeah, no, no. That uh, is it possible that some of the old meaning is sort of fr- been freighted in? In other words, it's sort of still there in a sense. Now, you, you know, yeah. so yeah. like, uh,
1: nice guys finish
0: last. Well, there's that. Yeah, yeah there's that. Yeah. Uh, I'm also thinking of the fact that we don't necessarily, you know, sort of associate like it. It, it implied that uh, kind yeah. and nice are synonymous, but I think there's an important distinction to be made. Yeah,
2: mean I, I think the way that I mean, I've used the term, and I. Mm -hmm. use it frequently and i tend to mean something close to agreeable or kind when i use it but again i'm not using it with precision (laughs) i don't think i'm using it more
1: as it strikes me as a word that is just sort of generally favorable but bland and vanilla yeah Yeah, it doesn't really have a lot of substance in its meaning right right you know you you wouldn't Describe. I mean, no matter how polite is, you wouldn't describe Chuck Norris as a nice guy. Right. Right. I mean, it, it, right. it's just not. It, it's not there. There. There's. <laughs> it, it's. It's a soft word. Yeah.
0: Well, I think you know the the point you made, or the the, the comparison to polite. I think is a is a, mm-hmm. is a comparison I'd like to return to in a minute, mm-hmm. a little later mm-hmm. when we get into Aristotle. But I think um, when I think of kindness, mm-hmm. I think of it as as something uh, proactive. Hmm. I think of it as something that, you know, you, you, know, you, you, you perform a kindness. You, you see someone who needs help, like maybe a little old lady cr- needing help across the street or somebody, you know, holding the door open for someone. Hmm. To me, that's kindness. I, I also think it's uh, kindness is, empath- you know, sort of responsive. Uh, hmm. It's empathetic. It is sort of, it begins with someone else's humanity and their need. Nice is almost like a, a gloss. Hmm. It's almost like something that just sort of helps you get through life in sort of a smooth and sort of friction-free way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: if, you, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's about, oh, that, he's nice. In other words, you're not going to have a problem with that guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I for example, a kind mm-hmm. person can get mad. But does a nice person get mad? Angry, I should say. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Righteously. Righteous indignation. Is righteous indignation uh, compatible with niceness? I think righteous indignation is compatible with kindness. In fact, it might be an expression of kindness. But I don't think niceness ever gets you there.
1: Am I right? Yeah, th- that's, that's kind of what I meant when I was talking about it being sort of vanilla, white bread, yeah. bland, right? soft. Does it, does, there, there's no, um, in, in order to have righteous indignation or something like that, there has to be some, you, you, you've got to have some, some strength, some, some steel in you to get right. there. Right, right. And, so, and nice doesn't suggest that to me. No, in fact,
0: I would say that nice might imply an absence mm. of, a, of a core. You know, almost like maybe a Woody Allen movie. You know, yeah, where yeah. where you got this guy who just kind of goes through life like Zillig. You know, <laughs> yeah, and he just yeah. sort of like blends into the environment <laughs> he wherever he goes. <laughs> you know, right? So he's the human chameleon. You yeah. know, just kind of like he's <laughs> able to adapt to any situation. There's nothing. There's not. There's no burrs. There's no edge. There's no roughness. There's yeah. nothing to the person. Yeah. Uh, he's completely malleable. Yeah. And I really think that's why it's our contemporary. Virtue. I think it's the supreme contemporary hmm. virtue. So anyway, I know that's a. Uh, there's a lot there, uh, yeah. but I want to. I want to kind of back it up with some
1: analysis. So, mm. look, can can, can go I ahead. point sure. something out? Yeah. The word virtue. Yeah, yeah. It comes from the Latin word virtus, right? Which means, among other things, strength or courage, whatever. But the root word is vir, yeah. which means, mm-hmm. an adult, mature, adult, male, responsible, man. Right. Okay. Um, and virtue is typically developed in the Roman context in the military, yeah. where you learn discipline, self-sacrifice, right. uh, perseverance, uh, suffering through hardship and continuing mm-hmm. on, all of those kinds of things. Actually, the word vir, interestingly enough, is cognate to the word werewolf.
0: Hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. I we're, remember hearing that. Veer, yeah, yeah.
1: Where is Veer? Right. Wolfman.
0: Yeah, that's right. So, so is the wolfman nice?
1: Yeah, No, he
0: isn't. <laughs>
1: and, and, and the very concept of, of, of virtue, like I said, it, it, you know, if you want to put it in modern English, what virtue would really boil down to in Latin is manliness. That's right. Manliness or man up or manful.
0: Mm -hmm. Those sorts of things.
1: And yet that's not something... I mean, the idea of nice as virtue Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is sort of turning the entire concept of virtue, at least as it was originally used, on its head. Right, right. Well, you're you're going right in the direction Mm -hmm. I was hoping to go,
0: so thanks for doing that. You illumined something
2: very that plagued me for a long time. Now I finally understand the meaning of an American werewolf in London. We have the crude American werewolf man going into the niceties of p- the proper, <laughs> the niceties, the proper proper English right, right. Uh, city. That's fine. That's <laughs> anyway. fine.
0: Well, that gets us back to politeness and in these other things. So let me let me, uh, me kind of step back a little bit to uh, to Athens, and you know, you know, we're in we're in the Latin world there with Veer. Now, now I'd like us to go back to Plato and uh, Aristotle. One of the, of course, one of the things that they struggled. With or, or worked to understand is the nature of uh, virtue. You know, can it be taught? Is it something that you just sort of mm. have? You know, some people got it, some people don't. Mm. You know, God puts it in that kind of thing. Well, if it can be developed, how is it developed? Mm. Now, you, you noted uh, this this association wi- of uh, mm. you know virtue with manliness, or that's actually, actually, it's the origin when you think about it. The the virtues were those things that made you a good warrior in the ancient world. Those things, you know, sort of you know strength, courage, mm-hmm. maybe even something like a cunning, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know when when you had uh, Aristotle talking about virtue. Oh, we got a, another round coming here. So we got we got one here for Tom. I'll, I'll be ready in a little bit. I'm not quite ready yet. I'll ta- I'll take a uh, cider. Ten. Uh, I'll, do a, I'll do a cider my next round.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. So, you know, when we think about when we think about you know how how this whole sort of process sort of is uh, understood with regard to like Aristotle, for example. Aristotle had a very functional, which I think is true to the to the root of, you know, the, sort of the, the usage. And uh, what you ended up having in, the, in, the, in that world w- was um, a whole s- set of lists. You know, you had, you know, what are the characteristics that make for a good potter, mm-hmm. a good uh, cooper, a good warrior, a good wife, you know, all these different things. And it was, it was Plato uh, who said, you know, what, why don't we think about what makes a good human being? Mm-hmm. And so then it, the idea was, what are those characteristics yeah. that we would like everyone to possess? And that's kinda of how we came to think of virtue in the way we do today. Mm-hmm. Sort of this universal set of values that that, you know, apply to everybody. Moral virtues.
2: And there tended to be, I think it's worth noting with, with both Plato, Aristotle, that whole world a Way in which those virtues for the different kinds, well, well for the human, for that, would, were, were, would, in some sense,
0: mimic the cosmic order and yes. the virtuous order of all things, or the the moral order. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And I want to get there. Yes. Yeah. Aristotle was uh, tremendously important in my intellectual development for that very reason. Yeah. Uh, so you have all these you have all these lists, and and of course, what Aristotle does when he thinks about virtues. Is he, he tries to understand, uh, you know, their social function, you know, how they yeah. fit into a social order, but then he also tries to th- associate them with sort of what co- you know what makes a human being a human being, and this is where the, that golden mean kind of comes in, you know, where he talks about each of the virtues is is sort of a a, a midpoint between two vices. So we've got a, a sort of a human, uh, you got that sort of a continuum, mm. and at one end you have uh, too little of the thing you want, and at the other end you have too much. So let's take courage, that's the easy one. You know, if you think about courage, too little courage is timidity, cowardice, mm. that kind of, that's a, that's a virtue, or a vice I should say. Uh, so there are always, there are twice as many vices <laughs> <laughs> in, in Aristotle's analysis. Uh, so so that's, that's, a, that's a lack, a lack, and then going, you know, when you have too much, you're rash. Yeah. You're uh, f- reckless.
1: Reckless. That's right. Which is one of the reasons why I have real problems with the song "Reckless Love," <laughs> and it's applied to God.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, right. right. Yeah, th- th- that'd be a marvelous thing to do. Is just sort of like if we could write a book, all of the stupid things that come up in Christian praise music. I think, well, it could be a, could be a, a <laughs> you know, a podcast uh, <laughs> collection of reflective essays on. Right. So, so now, so like courage is obviously a a a virtue that is to be exercised at a particular time you know so this is where sometimes people you know uh, when they look at Aristotle's approach to virtue will uh, I think misunderstand what he's up to and and accuse him of being a situation ethicist in other words Mm -hmm. the situation has to be right but so with with Aristotle it's the right amount at the right time in the right way you know it's all kind of measured out Hmm. so you've got You know, for example, uh, a particular action might be appropriate in a certain situation when it's not in another. So, like, when you see someone drowning, you know, that's uh, a moment in which the courageous act would be a little more rash in character in the sense that, you know, you just sort of you're not thinking about yourself in the moment. You're just sort of, you're just giving yourself over to the to the need at the moment. Throwing yourself into the water to save someone now it may cost you your life. But that's the courageous and appropriate act in that situation. Now, if you were to uh, do that same, make that same sort of bold and, uh, you know, sort of, you know, uh, spontaneous, you know, uh, leap into someone's life, like, you know, maybe when a person is about to, I don't know, uh, you know, cut in in front of somebody, you know, accidentally in line, and you (laughs) just leapt in front of them, pushed them back, you'd say at that point, you know, that's a little bit too strong, you know, you went a little too far, something a little more subtle would be Mm -hmm. called for. There would maybe be a breach of etiquette, maybe, that would require a a measure of courage to Mm -hmm. to act, but uh, it wouldn't be the kind of sort of all-in, you know, kind of action that, a, that, you know, you'd be, uh, you know, hopefully be able to perform if someone were drowning. So there's that. So, so if we think about, like, various things, like in the Nicola McKean ethics, what Aristotle will do is he'll take things that we normally don't even associate or think of as virtues, like wittiness. <laughs> you know, he thinks of wittiness, he describes wittiness as a kind of virtue. He says, you know, it's, it's useful Insofar as it helps sort of grease the gears of social interaction, you know, it helps people be at ease. You know, it sort of lightens the mood. It does these things. Now, if you have too much, then you've got buffoonery. You know, that kind of. If you got too little, then you got sort of like this uh, kind of. Uh, well, just uh, perhaps uh, I can't remember the, the the vice that he identifies when it comes to lack of wit. Maybe it's lack of wit. (laughs) I don't know. But anyway, that's it. So now, if we were to think about niceness in that way, that it fits into a kind of continuum, what would an excessive niceness be? And what would a lack of niceness look like?
1: Well, the lack is easy. I would describe it as nastiness. OK. Um, Just sort of nasty, unpleasant behavior. Uh I don't know what the extreme would be, though. Yeah, too nice. Well, it might be what repulses a
2: lot of women, you know, the the overly... Yeah. uh, The the pushover takes everything and is... uh, Hyper attentive to every single aspect of something because right, right. they don't want in any way to 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 communicate this lack of niceness. Right. I don't right. know if that comes out clear, but I, right. I, I kind of.
0: So that that's that's one way yeah. that Aristotle would talk about you know a virtue. Let's.
1: I got the word fawning. Yes. Ah. Okay. Good. good.
0: Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. So you. Very so, good. Now, like, when you're when a person is fawning, they're looking for approval, sort of, uh, yeah. over, to, over the top. Now, obsequious, uh, uh, you too. know, a person who is just so greasily, so obsequious means, you know, are kind of greasy, but, you know, just just sort of, uh, so, uh, oily in terms of trying to make people yeah. feel good or whatever that you're kind of creepy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in a situation like that, we, we, we generally think that someone's on the make, yeah. Yeah. you know. But I think that you're, you're right, you know, when we often, you know, when this too, a person is too nice, we often think of that person as being, um, lacking strength. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Lacking a kind of necessary Thank moral you. strength. So we have, the, we have the next round of drinks being sent down here. They've arrived. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you. So, yeah. So, that's one way of thinking about it. Now, when we when we think about Aristotle's uh, approach, uh, one of the things that's uh, important to keep in mind is that Aristotle believed, you know, stated that we're social in nature. We're social animals, he, he would say, or did say, and that means that these these uh, traits, these you know, character traits, these virtues fit into a larger social order. So that means that there's some social good that's being served. And so we have the individual and the practices. And then we have the social order in which these practices are performed. And then behind all of that, we have the metaphysic, which is the, the you know reality itself, human nature, and how human nature reflects that reality, and, and so on. I'll get to that in a minute. But when we think about the social order, when we think about niceness. If nicest is is really this sort of um, willingness to go along, or almost a dis- sort of an uncritical uh, sort of uh, impulse to go along, uh, to lack any kind of inner core strength, uh, to sort of be frictionless—the kind of person who doesn't have the, the the moral strength to act out of maybe the the set of expectations that people yeah. who are in charge, yeah. you know, are are uh, promoting. Uh, what's going on? What kind of social reality uh, would rec- sort of call for niceness? Now, in, in other words, if we were if we were if we were on a desert island and we were we were fighting for our ex- our lives, our <laughs> existence, would niceness be something <laughs> that we were always promoting? with everybody.
1: See, I, I think the answer to your question before that one, uh, the answer to that one is obviously no. But I think the answer to question before it comes to the question of what are the major vices that are increasingly recognized in the culture? And one of them is offending people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And someone who is nice goes out of their way not to offend people. Right. So, the question is, is there ever an appropriate time to offend people to be not nice? Yeah, right,
0: right. What would be a justification for offense? Hmm. Well, I think the word offense, you know, as I think about it, needs to be sort of played out a little bit or sort of developed uh, somewhat. Hmm. So, let's say, you know, for, exa- for example, I, I knew a lot of people from back in the day, you know, old Yankees that, were, that were, had a lot of uh, a quirky uh, qualities, kind of squirrely people, but they would also uh, come across as being terribly unnice at times, <laughs> um, kind of uh, rude even, uh, uh, offensive. Now, what I, because what I, I knew many of those folks, most of those folks have died off, you know, mm. it's, uh, it's just a sad fact. But, but what, they, what, what they, how they understood themselves is, is that uh, they, they belonged to a community that shared certain values, and those values uh, were not optional. Mm. And if you were not behaving the way that you should, According to the, the sort of the standards of their community, they would call you out. Yeah. They would just say, "What exactly was on their mind <laughs> at that moment when they saw that?" Yeah. And it it, it made uh, it made them uh, sometimes unpleasant to be around, uh, unless you really kind of understood what they were about. But I think the reason why they, they came across as as unpleasant is the communities that they had been enculturated in or, you know, or raised in, were largely dying or dead at that point. Mm. so that the, those, the, those hard edges, those burrs that, you know, sort of the, that stuff uh, was no longer interpreted within the framework of what our community stands for. Mm. It was more along, more along the lines of, he's just a mean old man. You know, don't take what he has to say too too much to heart. He's just a grumpy old guy, <laughs> that kind of thing. If you know, if you know <clears throat> what I mean. So, so that kind of gets at what I'm getting at. I I think that niceness is the virtue of a globalist yeah. uh, sort of community, a, a cosmic, cosmopolitan mm-hmm. community, where smoothness mm-hmm. of interactions mm-hmm. and the freedom to sort of move about without. Uh, experiencing the imposition of moral norms mm. is the highest value. That's what we. That's what our civil. That's what our global civilization. Mm. It's. It's all. It's all about. And, and because it's. It's a consumer society. Mm. It's all about making. Mm. You know these experiences uh, available to all. Mm. Right. Um, and it's. It's about. So you. So. You know you. you, you The 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 best sort of person in such a world is a person who moves through the world without creating any disturbances. That's what niceness is, as far as I can tell. And and it's interesting because,
2: especially in you know, as we we're in a kind of shifting, you know, uh, cultural climate in which we have a lot of uh, lack of civility growing out of different quarters. If you don't follow the politically correct. language and, and uh, way of, of acting and comporting. Mm-hmm. You are basically called out, castigated, you lose your... There's no, there's no niceness being uh, expressed towards you, but what has happened is it's usually the one that has violated that political correctness which is the tends to be have the nice disposition and so therefore you have this mob attack and take advantage of that kind of Weakness,
1: yeah. um,
2: if you call it that. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: A key word there, weakness. I'll come yeah. back to that and give, finish your thought. But,
2: but I do think that we have been i mean i I think just thinking back to my formal education i do think that it was continuously cultivated to have this kind of timidity Mm -hmm. um you know if if i didn't you know if i didn't have examples around me of people that hadn't been cultivated that way that really when when the time came to really have to do what you needed to do and and Mm -hmm. step up and, and confront it I think it would have been easy, easy to
1: be right. be like that, fully. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and th- this ties in with, with what I said before about causing offense is one of the prime uh, vices, yeah. but you cause offense typically in a PC-type environment. There's it, no problem with offending a conservative, but in PC you can't do that. That's so right. you're nice if you don't offend um, in that context, yeah. and you get attacked if you do. They stop being nice if you do that. Yeah. Right. However, I think another component of this, the reason why niceness is, is um, such a focus right now is that people are weak. Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. they, they see their value in terms of how other people treat them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they right.
1: don't know who they are. Right. they don't have a strong sense of self mm-hmm. so that if they get attacked by somebody else they crumble mm-hmm. yeah. so you stay nice to avoid attack right yeah right and that was it
2: kind of <laughs> the contrast that i grew up i grew up in virginia i grew up
1: in new jersey yeah i mean yeah. come
2: on <laughs> but I mean, but one of the things in virginia was interesting because it was enough in that southern region the women tended to be nice Yeah, Yeah. The men tended to be friendly, but if you stepped on their toe, you'd meet the other side. And so you kind of saw the difference between nice, the smile, yet the insult behind your back versus the kind of, you know, okay, I'm friendly up front because, you know, that's kind of general civility.
0: But don't move into that place where I have to start,
2: you know, not being
0: friendly. (laughs) Well, I think this brings out, I think Mm -hmm. the sort of the... The uh, inner excuse,
1: contradictions uh, of niceness. Oh, oh, oh excuse ahead, me. I've got to quote General Mattis. <laughs> okay. At one point, he okay. said, "Be nice." Excuse me. It was. It was. It, I don't think he used the word nice, but be polite, but have a plan to kill everyone in the room. Right. I mean, it's right. something like that. I mean, well. it, that's that's what you're talking about. And it, it was right. like uh, Stanley right. Howard was the theologian, so he grew up in, he's a
2: pacifist now, but he grew up in Texas, and he said he had really two virtues. If your car, you know, your tire went flat and someone came, they were either going to be very friendly and nice, or they were going to kill you.
0: It was one of the two right.
2: options. Right. There wasn't right. right. a.
0: <laughs> well, a couple of thoughts here. One is I think that the, the inner. Sort of it's the, the, these contradictions, I think, are, are something we all see all, yeah. the, all the time. You know? mm-hmm. so you know the points that you, you both made about violating the standard of niceness means that you're subject to some very harsh treatment. Yes.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. uh, intended to bring you back into niceness. Yes. You know, you're, you're going to be pummeled back into niceness. Yeah. yeah. But but I, I, I do think that the that Aristotle's insight that the virtues uh, feed into mm-hmm. a social order. Mm-hmm that they're not sort of like uh, ends in themselves or directed directly to God and have no sort of social That's right. you know sort of uh, instantiation, but 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 they all sort of tend to further the the implicit or stated end of yeah. the community. So like when we think about polity, yeah. polis, the mm-hmm. city, yeah. politeness, police, yeah. all these words are, you know, yeah. they have the same root. Polis. So politeness, you, you do need to have a measure of agreeableness, yeah. right, yeah. to be able to engage in business and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of get along with people and your neighbors and, that, and so forth. Uh, so politeness, but politeness has always been understood to be a rather surface thing, mm-hmm. not something that that um, really should constitute or the, sort of the core of, say, a relationship that we call a friendship, mm-hmm. or even a, the kind of filial piety that we think of. Being proper to a relationship from a father and a son—it's not. Yeah. You're not polite, mm-hmm. you know, so much as you are loving.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: right. Uh, devoted, mm-hmm. loyal, these kinds of things. Politeness is something that you can just give to anybody, you know, anybody walking along in the street. Now, now, niceness—I don't think. I think perhaps niceness is has replaced the term politeness because politeness still has too much freight, too much sort of moral freight. Yeah. I think what we're looking for in, in niceness is more mechanical. Sort of the greasing of the gears, yeah. you know. I, I, I made a I, had a, I wrote something that just sort of, just occurred to me and <laughs> I, I put it on my, Facebook page, something along the lines of that. <laughs> if someone calls you nice, perhaps you should interpret that as meaning that you're a basically, you know, well greased cog in the <laughs> in the in the machinery of a global, you know, <laughs> you know, value neutral fairyland, you know, yeah. and that kind of. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who responded to that because they think that they uh, kind, of, yeah. kind of kind of kind of feel that. Yeah. The community is this global, sort of consumerist yeah. fairyland. Where we, where we don't want to give offense to anybody, but we just sort of want to proceed through the machinery of, of our hmm. economy and our social order without any friction.
2: It's interesting. It's just thinking, you know, kind of someone who tried to do this stuff a couple generations back, Francis Schaeffer. And one of the things he often talked about is sort of what the 60s and the left kind of reacted against in the U.S. And he said they had their analysis right. Their solution was off. And I I think I agree with his analysis here. He said the, the two kind of ugly values that started to generate... One of them was what he called the materialism, you know, that's kind of peak consumerism, what yeah, we would call right, today. Right. But the second one he called was apathy. Mm. And I think very connected to that yeah, is right. this notion of this, this kind of leave me alone um, and I'll leave you alone. Let me live my life and be not impacted. And I think this niceness kind of is a way of cultivating that kind of apathy. Well,
0: that, that's a great thought because yeah. it seems to imply it to me again, uh, that that there's another reason why we've dropped the word polite because I do think polite yeah. implies that we belong to each other. We belong to a large community, yeah, yeah. the polis, yeah, whereas niceness is all about just you, yeah, and just being left alone it serves
2: the apathetic,
0: yeah yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so uh, now, I think uh, what is in the background of all of this? so kind. Kind of fill out a little bit of my own story with with uh, Aristotle. I remember when I was at Harvard, uh, I was I was uh, studying under a guy named Ralph Potter. Ralph Potter is an yeah. ethicist. Uh, he was a student of Niebuhr, ah. so he was a kind of a, a realist, you know, yeah. liberal li- realist. And uh, mm. anyway, uh, he was also a Presbyterian. Uh, he was obviously PC USA, and <laughs> he was PC in certain ways. Yeah. But he had this going for him. <laughs> you know, whenever I, I was in his classes, uh, we were always in the classics. Yeah. So even though, you know, I was Harvard, we were studying Montaigne, we were studying yeah. you know, in we were studying yeah. Aristotle, we were studying Calvin. Yeah. You
2: yeah. know, you did your you, you did know? your work in that in those kind of classes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. were we were dealing with the classics. And I remember he was quoting. I think it was uh, Alistair McIntyre. Yeah. And he yeah. said it's. He said, I remember it struck me as just like a bolt of lightning. He said, It's either, we're at a point now where it's either Nietzsche hmm. or Aristotle. Hmm. That's the choice. Hmm. And uh, hmm. what I've seen is a kind of recovery of Aristotle just all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. But we've talked about a recovery of Plato as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it, but I think that's what we're seeing is a sort of return to an integrated vision, getting back to the roots. Mm-hmm. And the thing that was the great breakthrough for me is when I read, the, when I read Aristotle's ethics and his politics and then moved on to the, to the physics, or metaphysics I should say, what, what you saw is this sort, of, this, this sort of hole where everything kind of... It's like when you take a you know, a balloon that's been blown up and you squeeze it one spot and you see this other mm-hmm. part that just sort of inflates. Yep. Everything's connected. So if you, if, you, if you do something here, there's going to be an effect over here. You may not anticipate it. Mm-hmm. But, but when it comes to ethics, mm-hmm. either the polity conforms to the ethic or the ethic conforms to the polity. Eventually, now there be there can be period uh, a period of time where things are out of sorts during a transition period or where things are indeterminate, mm-hmm. or whatever. But eventually, things kind of work out. What I think is happening in evangelicalism mm-hmm. is we've lost our ethic mm-hmm. because of the pressures of our society to mm-hmm. conform to its polity. Yeah. And that's why our yeah. ethics are becoming less and less distinguishable. Yeah. Why niceness, mm-hmm. or whatever you wanna mm-hmm. fill in the blank, is, is, is growing sort of more per- persuasive mm-hmm. within the church. It's because, so in other words, either, either we, we, we hold to a biblical ethic that has a sort of its long-term objective, the transformation <laughs> <laughs> of everything else, yeah. or we conform.
1: That's right. See, and going back to you're either you've got either Nietzsche or Aristotle. Mm-hmm. The majority culture is increasingly Nietzsche. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, power is the one reality. And when you when you get into critical theory and those kinds of things, which we've talked about a bit, when you get into those, it's all about power. Everything really devolves on power. Right. In, right. in case our. Uh, Protestant reform world <laughs> starting to panic right now because we, we
2: use those categories. Kind of um, I think one of the things to, to keep in mind is, is that uh, classical reform, the Protestant thought, understood this um, in a way I think that the, the uh, later Protestantism didn't. Um, the whole false disjunction between the Hellenization. And, and salvation history right. was something that none of the church, nor any of the magisterial uh, reformers, nor the scholastic reformers held to. That's very much a byproduct of, of modernism, uh, impact of Kant in particular. If you cannot deal with the the uh, those aspects of reality that are beyond what is limited to the this worldly, then you have to get rid of metaphysics
0: altogether. So, what was the next step? Oh, well, we we never had metaphysics anyway. That's right, right, all right. This is where the liberation theologians and a lot of the modern yeah. evangelical reform guys are actually on the same page. It's just it's just amazing.
2: Yeah, they they all. This kind of one of my things. All, and I use Kant as just kind of the the concentration figure, maybe because uh, Kant had the largest impact. Of course, it's, the, it's all of the unfolding history that came after and, of course, there it goes back much earlier. Right. Um, we've discussed these at different points. Um, but, but in any case, this is one of the things of, of theologies of retrieval. Those that want to understand, for example, the continuity of Reformed thought with classic Christian grounding and then what resources we have to address things today, um, Scripture classic Christian teaching, Trinity, Incarnation, all of the core doctrines, right. Right. all of the shared doctrines of Christianity, and then with the distinct understanding of, of grace and salvation that Reformed want to put their emphasis on. Those things all go together, but one of the things that was um, definitely one of the things that was wrestled through with a lot of those early Reformed theologians is the significance of understanding um, reality um, in these ways, they—I mean, I mean—Calvin and, well, Calvin himself. You've got Plato and and thinkers that were indebted to Plato and Aristotle all over the place, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they were explicating a milieu that was shared by the, the, the New Testament writers. They were in a similar world. So when you write Hebrews and you talk about seen and unseen, visible and invisible, yeah, yeah. and you talk about it, these were taken for granted. Mm-hmm. This is what got shaved off, and, and this is really got what cut off when you came to Immanuel Kant. Right, right. And so I, I often say what you have going on in this, the new evangelical world, if you could put it that way, or the post modernity, um, evangelical world, is one that is completely disconnected to that whole metaphysical yeah. creation, created order, which Aristotle would be one expression of understanding
0: that. Right. Well, and then, and, you know, getting back to, to Aristotle here, people might, mm-hmm. I think, misunderstand what Aristotle was really up to. If all they had was ethics and politics. Yeah. Because all, if all you had was ethics and politics, then mm-hmm. you could basically have Nietzsche. Yeah. Mm. Right? Yep. In the world we live in today. Yeah. But it's the metaphysic. Yep. Now, the word metaphysic kind of yep. freaks some people out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if we were to just say being or ontology or yeah. ontos, yeah. that's what we're talking about. Talk about reality. Yeah. Or if we, let's bring it real close to home, if we were t- to talk about what it means to be a human being. Yes.
2: What is it about a human being that, at, at any manifestation in history, makes it a human being? Mm-hmm. That's talking metaphysics. That's talking right. Talking about the essence of something rather than
0: merely its its, its expression within. So let's st- let's history. stay within a sort of a, a Aristotelian frame. So within an Aristotelian frame, you know, sort of the uh, the the goal, the telos for mm-hmm. a human being is happiness, right? Yeah. Okay. So. You know, Aquinas takes that and identifies the beatific vision as that. You know, so would, yep. so now, now the community mm-hmm. is ordered toward a good as well, mm-hmm. the flourishing of the people within it. Yeah. Now, those two things also relate to a ground mm-hmm. or a transcendent realm, however we want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? But, but So if they're out of accord, if they're yep. not in sort of in sync or in keeping mm-hmm. or, or tapping into or whatever, again, you want to eat however you want. Because this is all analogies. Yeah. Right? So if, 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 if then you're not going to be able to achieve true human flourishing at the political right. level, you're not going to be able to achieve happiness at the level of the individual, you're not going to have any of that stuff because you're out of sync with reality you're yeah. not you're not in touch with reality yeah. and so now this is where of course the biblical revelation is so important for us because it gives us access or gives us insight into right. those things yeah and uh, so what we're talking about here is not so much you know a freewheeling community that it can make up things as it goes along That's right there is a dynamic between ethics and politics but both are accountable to reality
2: yeah
0: and both can die that's right. If they're out of, you know, out of sync or out of touch with reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think in the midst of all that, when Aristotle talks about the goal of life being happiness, he doesn't mean what we mean by the right. word. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know, so in a sense, we're back to the etymology issue. Yes. Um, yeah. When Aristotle talks about happiness, the Greek word is eudaimonia, yeah. which refers to a what I would describe as a life well lived. Yeah, right yeah um, you know a, a a life that has a kind of purpose and a deep satisfaction yeah. connected with achieving that purpose and so on it's it's a life mm-hmm. of virtue, it's yeah. all of these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It's not what we mean of when we think of happiness.
0: yeah, what we think of is a sort of inner state of sort of I don't know, feeling good about yourself or whatever. <laughs> and, it, and it's the, the
2: ordering of the, the mind and, and the passions and the body towards the, the right kind of ends that direct right. it towards its its completion. And this is why it wasn't hard for Christian theologians to say, okay, you know, this is kind of what we would call alphabetical language for which we can give the, the, the fuller picture here, the beatific vision. I mean, what is the chief end of humanity in the Westminster Confession? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. To
2: know God and enjoy God. Here's your, here's your chief end. We're right. talking teleology right. and then we're talking about it in the sumum bonum, to use right. the old language, the ultimate good. In God, right. and and so so this language here is kind of talking about the way in which um, the, the the larger theological vision um, expresses itself in the ordering of things towards the purposes for which they were created, mm-hmm. and so because of that, society, the human being, and then of course the the inbreaking of the kingdom into that to kind of restore. Those uh, misdirections that happen because of the fall, which would bring it towards death, right. hell, in the grave, um, it's a it's a it's a it's a coming in and uh, bringing restoration, and then it is a redirecting
0: those things back towards their ultimate fulfillment. So, yeah. so bringing us back to niceness. Yeah, coming back to niceness. <laughs> I don't think that niceness is a virtue that fits yeah. within that kind of framework. Right? Yeah. I think that actually niceness is a is a sort of thing that is a reflects a community that's dying, yeah. that's in that's in trouble. Yeah, Jesus wasn't nice. Right. John the Baptist wasn't nice. Yeah. None of the prophets were nice. They, Paul definitely wasn't. <laughs> especially <laughs> <laughs> the feminists know that. But. but but when you think about you know you know w- you know if you have a true end, and if there's something that's real that's yeah. not just sort of the product of a factory or your own imagination. That means you can miss it. Yeah. That means you can go to hell. Yeah. And the and perhaps the best thing that can happen to you at a moment or, or at any point in your life yeah. uh, is some really nasty bastard to walk <laughs> up to you and say, You're going to hell.
2: Yeah.
0: And maybe that'll shock you into saying, Maybe I am going to hell. Yeah. You know? And I think that you know getting back to our friend Doug Wilson i i propose hmm. that what Doug is up to is moving the Overton window hmm. you know the Overton window is the is the sort of this window of acceptable speech
2: yeah
0: and what he's what i think what he's doing um, i i know Doug at a, yeah. we're friends <laughs> He, he, I think, is a very deliberate person. I yeah. think he thinks about what he's doing. Yeah. I don't think this is just sort of like, you know, just a, a grumpy old guy, you know, venting. Finally had, he's finally had it. <laughs> I said, I th- now maybe there's some of that in there. Yeah. Now maybe there's some pleasure. Maybe there. that's a privilege of age, right? <laughs> but I think, I think what Doug is saying is we've lost our ability to tell people they're going to hell. Yeah. And one of the most beneficial things that we could do for people Uh, is recover the ability to say that, (laughs) you know, to to get back our language. Yeah, it it does come down to that,
2: the whole issue of truth. I mean, we're wrestling with it even on a political level in, in, you know, our culture. is this whole issue with with speech um, that offends has to be equated with hate speech. Okay, we're so removed from truth by the time you get to that level, Um, But on the other, it already shows the breakdown of of civic virtue, so their niceness isn't doing much to to help be a container there. But on the other hand, that whole issue of truth and truth-telling, it already places one outside of the realm of the capacity to always be so-called nice. You cannot be a truth-teller about hard realities of truth um, and cloak that in nice language sometimes. It's just not the case. I mean, for instance, one, you know, you don't repent you're, you'll be damned I mean there's nothing nice about that you know? right, right. Um, um, maybe we want to soften it because we don't feel like that's the way to reach people in this world I mean that's kind of the evangelical thing let's let's tame that let's not ta-
0: let's slip that in the back door right, right
2: I mean look anytime it comes in the front or the back it's going to be offensive because right. it goes against and our, our
0: adversaries our, don't ever care about our that's feelings. that's right <laughs> that's right you know I've never yeah. had a liberal say to me or a progressive <laughs> say to me I'm I, I don't want to offend you but that's right I've never had had that happen no
2: no they, their intent is to offend you
0: because they feel that's eye for eye tooth for tooth yeah, that's definitely. right eye right. for eye tooth for tooth right or yeah. they're trying to sort of they're trying to do what we're telling people like Doug Wilson to stop doing yeah Yeah. which is they're trying to move yeah. the sort of the window of acceptable right. ideas and speech yeah. in a direction that they yeah. favor yeah. and our bold response yeah. our bold response yeah. is uh, well we need to be nicer yeah I, I, I use this term, the apostles of the greater niceness. <laughs> I think that a, a lot of the evangelical leaders that I yeah. sort of sort of uh, try to ignore and screen out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really it, make me. Yeah, uh, I won't yeah. go But anyway, it would be <laughs> nice. <laughs>
1: let, let, let me point something else out about the Overton window. I was thinking about this on the way over here when I knew we were going to be talking about it. What? people don't take into account is that the further in one direction you push the Overton window, the more it opens up in the other direction. Interesting. What do you mean? So, if you push the Overton window really far in a racialist direction. Got it. So that, um, you know, uh, people of color are virtuous and whiteness, which is of course not a racial term. Right. whiteness is defined as, as bad or evil or something like that, what you were doing is opening another Overton window for, for true white racism, yeah, white right. nationalism. right? You, right. And they, they don't seem to get this idea mm-hmm. that the, you, know, you, you can push your own agenda as far as you want, but it's going to produce a backlash right. among people who look at this and say, that's just the load of hooey. Right. Um, I mean, that's not, that's, that's not true. And, and that happening. pushes people to the right.
0: Yeah, because what, what you discover within sort of the white, you know sort of the identitarians, right. they, how they refer to themselves as, as identitarians, their arguments are exactly the same arguments. Mm-hmm. In other words, they've, they've learned something from the left and said, okay, we'll use those arguments for us. I remember years ago, I was, you know, someone, I was talking to someone about Lyndon LaRouche. You remember Lyndon LaRouche? Oh, LaRouche. yeah. He said, he's so far right, he's left where he's so far left, he's right. You know, you're not really sure. So so when we think about the right-left continuum, we kind of think of it as, as, this, as this line that moves infinitely in both directions. It actually is circular. It's a closed
1: yeah. universe. That's
0: right, you come around the other side. And so if, if, if you buy into the whole thing, I don't actually buy into that the continuum idea. Sure. I, I have a more vertical, you know, so my understanding is more vertical than, than that. But but I think that's what you're, you're getting at, That. There are loads of unintended consequences. It's so all the all only kind of universal stuff. law of history, is right. the law of unintended consequences. <laughs> mm. right. So anyway, um, I don't know exactly how to wrap this all up. <laughs> this was just sort of like a thought experiment. You know, I, yeah. As I was thinking about this, this subject, I thought, well, I think Aristotle can be you know, helpful here. Uh, I think that maybe the analysis of, of nice, I know, in terms of its entomology, in terms of its sort of standing as a virtue and sort of thinking about it the way Aristotle would think about it, how does it, and sort of what purpose does it serve? I think we're talking about, I, maybe this is the best way I could wrap it up and just sort of recapitulate what I, I think I've said already, is that the niceness is uh, a virtue that serves an order that's dying. It's an, it's an, or, it's an order that doesn't mm. have a future. It's, it's an order that's entirely sort of wrapped up in the smooth operations of an entirely imminent world that's uh, dedicated to uh, pleasure and uh, good feelings and good times mm-hmm. and, and acquisition and, and getting ahead in life in a
1: material way. I would also add it's the virtue of people who are surrendering. Yeah, that, yeah. 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 I think that. I think that. That's a good point.
2: And I think it would be interesting at another time maybe to have you know to re- revisit this and just talk about how this. this um, it distinguishes itself and is distinct from the Christian call to speak the truth in love, mm. to you know in, embody loving kindness, fruits mm. of the spirit, it, and they are they are qualitatively different. I, I think um, it, well, one of these things is it's, uh, I think become a superficial value, right. versus uh, uh, a genuine you know enactment of God's
0: life in in someone. And, then, and, then that, and I think it's an important thing to bring up because, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes when I've criticized niceness, I'll mm-hmm. get some pushback. Mm-hmm. But the people who are pushing back are actually defending kindness, which that's is right. a qualitatively different, different thing. thing. That's right. And that's why I wanted to get into mm-hmm. what this is, what we oh, are talking yeah. about
1: here. Yeah, it, it, it's sort of like Sheldon Van Auken, um, a severe mercy. I mean, the, the two words don't normally go together, but there's a profound truth there. Right, right. and kindness and niceness—it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are no real synonyms in the world.
0: (laughs) Every every word has its own history, its own sort of sort of character. I mean, I think a person could get what we're we're talking about here,
2: just to say, you know, okay, let let's say somebody had a you know that we loved very dearly, but we maybe just gotten to know, so we don't know how to confront them, but we realize, you know, they're a heroin addict, and it's going to kill them. Right. Okay, For to to, and let's just say they're in denial about that, and we have to tell them an uh, unpleasant truth. You know what? I care about you enough to say this is not good for you. Right. Um, or...
1: This—it's their kid yes. that is the heroin addict, and they're in denial about, about that. About that. that—that's that's the that, more yeah, that may that, even, even intensify. It, yeah. I've seen both of them.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. but in, you know, in any way, it 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 is never, you know, it is never nice to, to have to kind of to do that. But it's loving. It's it's loving and
0: kind. Which brings up the I think yeah. a, a thing that sometimes people who confuse niceness and kindness mm-hmm. are guilty of and that yeah. is there are people out there who believe that you can be loving and not truthful yeah yeah and what I think they mean is you can be nice
2: yeah yeah
0: <laughs> anyway on that pleasant <laughs> note <laughs> we're, we're at a point now where we need to wrap things up anything else you want you guys want
1: to say before we say goodbye Lots more things to think about on this. Yeah, um, right. this we'll add this to our list of, uh, by my tally, it's 354 <laughs> things we need to, <laughs> to revisit in the future. That well, gives us a lot of shows. You <laughs> know? That's right.
0: We never run out. We've got more yeah. all the time. Anyway, as we wrap up, I just want to note a, a, a few things. One is, is that we, we are uh, beginning to work on a Kickstarter campaign, and uh, we'll let you know uh, about that and how you can help us out. Uh, the goal of the campaign is to improve the quality of the show and increase the audience. By the way, just to, to, to uh, state it again, we said it last time, we were stunned to learn that we've got an audience of about 10,000 people. Nice. <laughs> i'm just joking but, i'm but, just kidding but, but i mean we, we were surprised you know we, we started this thing just like what six maybe seven months ago you yeah, know we didn't yeah. know if anybody would be listening beside our families yeah, and even yeah. they would be faking they yeah would just... <laughs> yeah they would be that and being being nice That's right. like, oh that was a great show what you guys talk about but uh so we're very grateful for those who listen to us on a regular basis and it might be worth noting that
2: you know through the different avenues people can communicate that we are open to topics as well. And, yeah. and I know people have mentioned some in the past. We haven't forgotten you. Right. We just have. We're, we're a bit submerged at the moment, <laughs> but we we are catching up the things. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. And as you can tell, we have no sort of loss for what we want to talk. You know. Talk about. But uh, related to that, we don't have a website. You know, that's another thing I think that surprises people. We don't have a website. We just have a Facebook page mm-hmm. that we check maybe once every three days or four days or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. If, you, if you post something there. We are like the most sort of illiterate, irresponsible <laughs> <laughs> podcast on the planet. We don't promote ourselves. That's just, not very
1: nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: We just kind of talk, and things happen, and people <laughs> share it. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I, and I, in the course of conversation, I mentioned in the podcast, and they said, "Oh, let me see it," and they, and they, they called it up on Spotify. And said, "Oh, I've seen that advertiser. I've seen that." Mm. So you know, again, it's one of these things. People know about us as sort of things are getting spread around, and we don't even realize, you know, what's going on. But anyway, there's that, and. Uh, Well, we've gone a little too long, so why don't we just wrap it up now? Because we could talk about all kinds of stuff forever. (laughs) And we usually do. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye